What am I going to do, quit? That's not an option. You got to keep on keeping on. Life's a garden, dig it. You make it work for you. You never give up, man. That's my philosophy. Welcome to Legendary Mindset. I'm your host, Jake P. Richardson. Currently, we are on day 267 of the COVID-19 quarantine. Uh, at least it feels like it. I think we've only been in this for about a month now, but honestly, I'm ready to go to a sheep sale. It's time. Uh, but anyways, today I got to sit down and talk with Tyson Rule, uh, one of my oldest friends in this deal. Well, not my oldest friend, but I think I think you get it. I've known him since I was 13, and I've always thought his way of thinking was way out there. Uh, since then, I've spent a few weeks every summer helping him AIUs in California, and we became pretty good buddies. Tyson's story is very different from most. He spent a lot of time in the corporate world, and the perspective he gained from that is, is truly different. Uh, we really dove into a lot of the rural sheep company history, Tyson's early life, and, and tried to piece together a lot of the different bucks that made them who they are. Uh, by the time we got done recording, we had over two hours of content, so we're going to have to split this into two episodes. There's a lot of history in here, guys, and I hope you like it. I think I ran off with my buddy Matt Kuiper from high school. We went to go chase a rainbow to go get the pot of gold because we really didn't want to work when we got older. And so now. We, our thought process was like, hey, there's a leprechaun down here and he's got a big pot of gold and he's going to keep it all for himself if we don't come get it. So we talked off on like about a two and a half mile uh, track across the cow pasture to go get the pot of gold and mm-hmm. the rainbow. But we never got there. And I had upset parents when I got back home. Leprechauns so. move quickly. Uh, the, it's, it was kind of like an optical illusion. The closer we got to the rainbow, the further it went away. I still don't understand it to this day. <laughs> didn't learn about it in college? I, I didn't learn. that. You know, I learned a lot in college, but leprechauns and moving rainbows were not part of that conversation. Not, not on the, the paper. So let's, get, let's jump back to after you looked for the pot of gold. You were six years old. Like, um, what did like twelve-year-old Tyson say? What what was what was going through his head? Like, oh. what do you think? What do you like, twelve-year-old Maverick? Like, what was twelve-year-old Tyson? You know, what was going through his head every day? What was he up to? Twelve-year-old Tyson wanted to be like Michael Jordan or Doogie Howser. I'm not really sure which one was his ultimate goal, but if uh, probably Doogie Howser, MD, because you know my mom had a hard push on me to become a, a brain surgeon when I became older. So that was, uh, he's kind of my hero growing up, I remember. Doogie Hauser's like the young, was he like 14, 15, 16, yeah. boy genius? Boy genius, that was, yeah, for the young kids that don't understand Doogie Hauser. Uh, Neil Patrick Harris, a uh, great actor, played a uh, yeah 14-year-old kid who wanted to be a, uh, who was a brain surgeon, uh, just a genius. And he had to uh, transition life between being a 16-year-old fun kid and going on dates Getting his driving, you know, driver's license, and solving uh, the next uh, medical uh, uh, windfall. There you go. So any sports? Or you know, just showing. I I probably was bigger in sports than I wasn't showing growing up. Uh, I wanted to be good at basketball, uh, but I wasn't. Uh, I wanted to be good at baseball. Genetics weren't there for <laughs> basketball. I don't know. I just wasn't very good. Uh, same with baseball. You know, I don't know if it was. Uh, 
time and practicing probably a lot of it. Uh, living out in the country, you know, I, you know, I'm gonna use that as my excuse of poor genetics. But uh, living out in the country, I didn't go play after school uh, sports, so had to go work. I uh, had to go work, help help the uh, parents on the uh, in the farm on the business uh, business side of things. So uh, I got good at running. Uh, my sister was older than me, so she was a runner, and uh, I started out and I wasn't very good. But the thing I liked about running is uh, it didn't matter how athletically talented you were if you liked working hard. You didn't mind kind of going through a little bit of uh, pain. You could uh, end up being good. So you could be the best. So I thought for a while about going to the Olympics. That was kind of a goal. Uh, it didn't happen either. How kind of hard like, did you get? I don't think I got invited to the trials. So. Yeah, but like, were you pretty successful, like state? Yeah, we, I had a stuff? I had a really good high school uh, cross country and track career. So I think we, I went to state all uh, all four years of cross country and two years in track. So had a good had a good run there. Ran distance. So. Like one of my uh, claim to fames is that I weighed 99 pounds my senior year that fall when I was in cross country. Uh, I was pretty lean, pretty mean. You still weigh 99 pounds today. Uh, closer to 199 than 99, <laughs> but it's amazing. Uh, I remember always thinking like, why aren't my parents wanting to go work out at the gym every day, you know, whenever they'd come home from work when I was in high school and now I understand why they don't want to go to the gym every day when they come home from work, so. <laughs> Makes a lot more sense. <laughs> a, a lot more sense, so. That was the 12 to 18-year-old me, anyways. Did you show a lot? Or? You know, my sister started showing before me, so she was the one who uh, kind of got us into the club lamb world in that regard. Uh, we started with purebred Hampshire sheep that had more hide than muscle. Uh, we're getting out of Oklahoma. You know, our family was commercially driven. Uh, we ran, you know, big big sheep feed lots. Uh, we moved to Iowa to, uh, to run our uh, family's uh, sheep packing plant. So that was kind of our network. So we were really, really strong in, on those regards. On show lambs, my dad had a buyer who was uh, would supply him with lambs, uh, truckloads at a time, and he also raised club lambs. So we started in that process, and he got us. You know, we'd buy 15 lambs and put them on feed and have it on an inclined feeder. And I remember them just having more hide than muscle. Now that I went back and looked at pictures. So yeah, that kind of. Takes me to my next deal. Like, what did mom and dad do growing up? So you said dad was a farmer. Uh, so dad actually he was in charge of the procurement for our uh, our sh- our sheep packing plant. So okay. when we we killed about two thousand head a day from uh, I think the plant we opened in eighty three in Iowa uh, through two thousand nine. Uh, so they'd kill anywhere from three thousand to eighteen hundred, fifteen hundred head on a slow day, three thousand on a on a busy day. That would go through the uh, that we harvest through the packing plant. Uh, so that was his day-to-day operation. Uh, my mom was uh, everything from a school bus driver to a registered nurse in town. Uh, Bunch of hats. So she wore a lot of hats. She uh, also helped my dad with uh, the book work on. We fed out a lot of sheep and feedlots back here in the Midwest. Uh, we ran, I think, we ran 600 commercial use kind of when I was growing up at different times. So. So nothing, nothing show stock. It was all commercial. Every bit sheep. of it. Yeah, yep. every bit of it. Not, not any so goal our, to do that. So our first 4-H pro- project was Dorset breeding sheep. Somehow that was, you know, that was a big deal, you know, in the day. Uh, we, I remember going to Oklahoma and meeting Jerry Fitch, was probably the first person that I met in the club lamb industry that I could, you know, would still recognize now, uh, where we'd buy a ram from Oklahoma State University, and that was our first, probably our, our 4-H project of the dog obedience class that we did until... Uh, Probably the early '90s. So I remember we uh, we started then with some we uh, 
pen of five commercial feeder classes where we took five lambs, put them in a pen, fed them corn and protein mix, and weighed them in when they came in, weighed them in when they went out, kind of made it a true, you know, in theory, how do you, you know, make money in the feedlot, you know? I hope there's some pictures of this. Uh, there are. Tyson roll with a pen of five. Dorset? They were Dorsets or they were dorsets. speckled faces and they were uh, dirty. And dirty. I'm, I could, let's put it this way. There would be no doubt that every single one of our sheep that we showed at that point would be dead last in any class in America at any county fair caliber sheep. In Other, any world where I picture what this picture looks like, I don't picture those sheep clean. They, no, they, they, they were very mudballed. I think it's the phrase they used back in the day. So you showed just it wasn't like your big thing. You weren't really hustling at it or anything. But where do you start kind of deciding this show and things kind of cool? Like where do you, do you start following some of those guys around and, and getting some of those mentors and kind of where does that start to take shape? So we, uh, my sister and I went to State Fair and we learned about J.B. Massey's Club Lamb Camps. Uh, so we had tried to find one of those. We could not. But what we did find is we found, uh, I think through like the Purple Circle magazine, uh, which was big back in the day. They actually had, you know, like, paper publications which said, hey, here's what's going on in the livestock industry. Uh, we had a flyer for a Be a Champ show lamb camp. So in Connors or Jerry War McPeak. Yeah, Jerry McPeak, Warner, Oklahoma, Connor State College. Mm -hmm. <coughs> so since we couldn't go to Massey's camp, uh, we decided to go to that camp. And uh, met, I remember Vince McGolden, Chris McGolden. Uh, I remember those two were, were instructors at the camp. Uh, so we kind of learned more about, you know, club lambs and so forth. Met some friends that were, uh, some still have kids that show today. Uh, some of them I wouldn't recognize, you know, at all. Uh, mm -hmm. Those camps, I mean, that, my first camp was the first time I was like, kind of got really excited about it. Like definitely yeah. a confidence booster. And, and that was. I mean, and, yeah. you know, Jerry was a very good motivational speaker. Uh, he got kids. He was very rah-rah. I mean, when we left that thing, we were ready to uh, – you know, go win state fair. I think he had us convinced that we could probably do it. All we had to do was, you know, put our, you know, put the effort out. Uh, our results weren't quite that good, but uh, you know, it's fun. We learned a lot, and it's weird. Like so, that that summer went to the be a champ camp, and then that year at state fair, we actually uh, were introduced to JB Massey. So you know, the gentleman that we went to camp. So the next year we went to his camp, and uh, he started us actually. I think I would probably been like ninety three, ninety four. Uh, in 95, we bought our first uh, club lamb use. So I think my dad, I got my dad talked into buying 30 Suffolk appearing use that were fields based from Keith Berry's neighbor. How old were you at this point? Uh, I think I was probably 15, 16. Okay. So, you know, I had showed enough that, you know, we you know, could win a class at a jackpot show here and there. We maybe won a t couple jackpots uh, here and there, uh, you know, was not winning classes and so forth at state fair. Uh, so when I bought these ewes, I need to have a you know have a ram to breed them to, of course, which that was a secondary thought. I guess I didn't realize that was important at that point. But uh, and we actually had JB Massey helped us get our first rams. So we bought a a Markintel ram from some guys in Louisiana at the corpse sale the next year. Which I remember I thought it was really weird we were buying sheep from this guy because his sheep weren't blue. Uh, they weren't washed and they were rough sheared off where everybody else had these really, really good hided sheep that were blue and hard, which is what everybody in Iowa wanted. And we were buying these kind of hampy, dirty 
sheep, and that was going to be our buckland that we were going to go and breed all of our ewes to. So a little off the wall. Look, I didn't understand it to be honest. Scratch your head at but it. you know, I figured these guys knew more than I did, so I kind of went along with it, and uh, that was our uh, our first kind of our first first year lambing out ewes. Uh, we bought some more hemp-based rams uh, from that point it turned into navajo club lambs uh down in uh kind of the southwest corner of oklahoma and that kind of started the uh the club lamb operation where then when we uh started having some uh class winners and so forth that we were able to show some of our own sheep instead of going out and bu- just buying sheep there you go so you're in high school you have a set of club lamb use you're running track kind of used where do, where do you start thinking about going to college? When you when are you when you're thinking about college, are you thinking I want to go to ag college, I want to do this, or are you like I want to go to college, college? Well, I was going back and forth a lot. Uh, I didn't, you know, we didn't have livestock judging really in Iowa at that point where we knew much about it. But a lot of my friends that were now, sh- you know, we went to start showing in uh, these national shows at Kansas City, Louisville, uh, Denver. Uh, went to Phoenix a couple times, and they all talked about you know judging livestock in college. And you know, I remember having it, you know, sitting on the top rail of the show ring at our county fair and having these cards that they had to mark when they brought these big classes of cattle in that people just walked around a circle and out and that was about as much of my livestock judging but i understood you know what made a good sheep and what didn't mm-hmm. uh we'd started to come become pretty successful you know i guess more successful showing at that point where we felt like we could you know we could at least you know weren't weren't embarrassed to show with these other families anymore so that kind of made it nice uh that we kind of meet up with from oklahoma when we went to these different shows uh, so I was, I was kind of torn out. I, you know, part of me wanted to go run, run uh, collegiately in college. Uh, part of me kind of wanted to kind of, run, you know, I started really enjoying this ag side, and that was all new to me. Mm-hmm. Where you know, running I'd been doing for you know for four years then. Did you get scholarships through running, or was that an option at that point? It, it was, and uh, so that was kind of the one I had to weigh out. So uh, I had kind of a, I call them kind of in, you know Division two schools that you know were offering scholarships to go run at, uh, not a Division one school. Uh, and then also I got, I guess I got an offer for uh, livestock judging at Northeastern Oklahoma A&M uh, in Miami, Oklahoma. And that's where I decided that, hey, that's, I'm going to try this livestock judging thing out. And kind of, you know, I'd had enough fun for running for a while. I was kind of getting a little burnout on that and thought this livestock judging would be a kind of a new venture that I could possibly be really good at. I remember when I was in high school making, kind of decided to do the livestock thing. I had gone to some of those camps and those livestock judging teams, I looked up to those guys and they were like, the the real deal to me was that kind of the clout back then for that, those teams or was it not that big of a deal I had no clue no clue so, okay, so I was different. I was the novice guy like I, I didn't realize that you had to have like a blazer that when you you know judge the livestock in college that you should have a blazer in that khakis I honestly I was the most green you know probably junior college judging kid that ever showed up at a program to be on a team. Especially, especially in there, like, oh, you have a, full, you know, you have a, a scholarship to judge here this year. The good thing was there were other kids who were probably just as inexperienced as I was that was on the team, so that made it where I didn't quite, you know, I didn't stand out horribly as yeah. far as being the only kid that didn't have a clue what was going on. So you, at this point, you know, you can you can probably mark a pretty good sheep card, and the rest of them you can sort of see them. But how did livestock judging go? Like, did you? Uh, do it or? I could do great in sheep classes. You know, mm-hmm. that was easy for me. I felt very confident in that regard. Uh, pigs I read really, really well because back then it was like, hey, if they have butterfly tops and they're really hard and they don't have any, you know, don't have any flank, then it's perfect, you know. Win, yeah. They need to be lean. Uh, I realized at that point that I did not understand cattle and structure at all. So 
if it was a black class, I would place them wrong. If it was a red class of cattle, I would place them wrong. So it, it didn't it, matter what color it, they were. It really didn't. <laughs> you got it wrong. <laughs> and uh, you know, we were in limousine country, so northeastern Oklahoma. You know, the McPeak are the uh, the Douglas family. Mm-hmm. They were very big limousine, you know, breeders, and I just couldn't read them. And I think, you know, I think uh, I had a discussion with my coach that you know, if I'm not going to be able to read cattle any better than this, that this is probably going to be a short-term solution for me. So yeah. I remember that point in junior college when I realized, <laughs> okay, I'm probably not going to judge for you. Okay, I'm probably not going to judge junior college. What was that point that decided that for you that you're probably not going to do this in four years? Uh, midway through, mid, you know, midway through the season. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we had a, a struggle where we were actually uh, Jerry Douglas's last year uh, coaching team. So we only made it through the first half of the season. Then he closed. You know, I think, I think our hall that we were in at that point closed down, so they made us move back in the dorms. Uh, then at that point, I moved off camp. You know, I found a place off campus to go to. Uh, and that's where I decided, you know, maybe judging wasn't for me. It was, you know, there's just a lot of drama with, uh, you know, the uh, with everything that was kind of going on that regard with Jerry's being last year and yeah. kind of, you know, wanting to be out of it. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a, it was a lot different back then than it is now, where you have a little bit more of a program, you have more, you know, assistant coaches, more head coaches, a little more people that are working along with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, back then, it was just, you know, Jerry. It was Jerry and that, and uh, you know, the, the sophomores and the freshmen on the team. So, I just at that point, I was, uh, I had a kid that I was running with. Uh, in high school that uh, I was still staying in contact with and he had walked on to Iowa State University, uh, their cross country team, and had good success at it. So uh, he and I had been talking and we decided that hey, maybe that was something that I could try to do and you know, you know, I was I was better than him in high school and he was made the team in college. So sure, like I can probably do this. Yeah, you know, I thought, you know, why why couldn't I? I mean Yeah. So uh, I moved back up to Ames, Iowa and went to school there and I realized that uh, uh, Iowa State had a lot more uh, Things had progressed a lot more in the year that I was gone than what I had thought. So the kid that I ran with, he had turned into about a six foot two kid, uh, extremely tall, and I was still five ten. And instead of weighing ninety nine pounds, I weighed you know one fifty. Lost a lot of time. Yeah, I got a little, little, quite a bit slower. And uh, amazingly enough, uh, Iowa State was recruiting at this point. I didn't realize that you know colleges actually recruited people from other countries, but uh, our team was mainly <laughs> made of uh, Kenyans. Which, if you don't know Kenyans, they are. Fast. They're faster they, than Tyson Rule. Yeah, they're faster than Tyson Rule. <laughs> that would, that'd be the short story to the rest of my uh, collegiate ac- uh, athletic career. So you ended up at Iowa State and you just stayed there? Yeah, I just stayed there. I uh, enjoyed it. I went from a pre-vet major to an animal science major. Uh, so you're going to be a vet? Thought about it. Yeah, I thought really hard because I kind of went from pre-med to, hey, let's be a vet instead of a doctor. And then I decided... So you still on the brain surgeon thing? Yes, yeah, like, okay. but just, you know, brain surgeries for... Poor puppies that have cancer, you know, and try to treat, you know, all those things. There you go. Uh, got talked out of a little bit from our local, you know, one of our local veterinarians that was a large animal practice, and he had been, he had been struggling. So went back into more of, hey, I was going to be an animal science, uh, wanted to be a pharmaceutical sales rep, uh, kind of go that direction. Pretty general path, just Very general. wide open. Not real sure what I wanted to do, but I knew I liked animals. I liked, you know, the livestock side of things. I uh, thought agriculture was neat, you know, didn't still didn't understand about, you know, row crop or any of the agronomy that kind of goes along with that, but... Really enjoyed livestock. So Iowa State, any frats? What, what was Tyson Rule doing? You know, I uh, coming in as a sophomore, I did not rush, uh, so I didn't really understand that entire process until I got to Iowa State and realized, you know, sororities and frats what they were. Uh, I lived in the dorms my first year, so I actually hung out with the. Uh, our floor was mainly football players, so I met a lot of those guys and hung out with them. Those uh, are good people to meet your first year of college. <coughs> 
you know they're big and strong, and I and I wasn't. So I mean that was kind of nice. So and if everyone I, wants to hang out with the football team. So exactly. You know Iowa State, we had a, a very tenure of being poor at football. Uh, the four years I went to uh, Iowa State, they actually made the bowl all four years. So I was, uh, you know, we had, we had a it was a fun time to be a Cyclone. So and uh, a couple of my, you know a couple of friends I still stay in touch with that. Uh, you know, who are on the football team that, you know, hung out with us. So I actually, you know, I didn't hang out with a lot of ag kids. Uh, you know, mainly I had Nick Berry, uh, Joel Morkel, and Joe Hobbs uh, that would go hang out with those three. Uh, so you were there at the same time? Same time. They were in the same grade. Okay. Uh, we grew up showing sheep together, so we kind of knew each other that way. Uh, I didn't get invited to any of their parties because I wasn't an ag kid. So that was kind of uh, we'll, we'll, we'll find Joe Hobbs and we'll ask him about why, yeah. why, why, why didn't they didn't invite me to the parties. Uh, they probably had a cap on the number of guys. Probably what it was. Like, if Tyson doesn't bring a few girls with him, like, we're, we can't let him in. Like, come on, guys. They probably had a vote. I, I'm assuming it has to be like a, it was usually at least a one to one ratio. Most of I think those parties were more like three guys, one girl. So yeah. they, they it's really a smart did. move on their part. I mean, if that's why, I get it. Yeah. You know, and then. Uh, you know, I guess on the other ag side, uh, Matt Lautner, uh, Nick Smith, those two uh, were in college at the same time as I. So as I really? progressed up and in, you know into my uh, <clears throat> junior and senior year, those guys came to school. So those were other ag kids that you know we I hung out with uh, when I wasn't hanging out with uh, my other friends. So you were messing around with sheep and stuff still in all this? Yeah, I was. So uh, I worked. Uh, so Yeah, think about. It. I might have you ask that question because I gotta try to figure out how we haven't talked at all about doing any sheep stuff in Oklahoma. So yeah, so, so ask you, we talked about that a little bit ago. So Oklahoma, you started going down there to help with show lambs and then running back to the house to help dad. So you were trying to, I guess you were you were helping you yeah, you were helping back at home and running the farm back here, trying to get things going for the show lamb deal. Who are you going to in Oklahoma? So when I when I went to Iowa State, you know, I was still kind of involved with uh, the show, you know with, with show lambs. Uh, when I was in Oklahoma. Uh, I actually had met Ty Allen through J.B. Massey, mm-hmm. uh, so he and I were good friends, and actually he was helping with my projects when I was in Oklahoma and at Iowa State. So at this point in time, who's Ty Allen? <clears throat> Ty Allen is a friend uh, who my junior and senior year uh, came to Iowa State, and he was my father's intern, you know, per se intern for helping mm-hmm. us run our business, uh, helping with my, me with my showland project, uh, you know, for the 4-H projects. Uh, just a good buddy, and uh, he and I were the repairmen for our packing plant. So hmm. when something broke, they called us up on our walkie-talkies and said, hey, Ty, Tyson, come fix this gate hinge. What's and a walkie-talkie? It's kind of <laughs> like a... Re- <laughs> exactly. It's the little radio for all you uh, younglings out yeah. there. It's, it's, like, it's like a Snapchat, you know, but uh, yeah, it actually, you don't get to see anybody. Yeah, just a sound. So buddies with Ty, Ty worked for your dad, helped on the show lambs. Yep. So you know that was you know we hung out together in summers, uh, met each other really well. So when I went to Oklahoma, I got to keep my sheep down there, so I could still you know have sheep when I went to school. When I went back to Iowa State, uh, he still let me have my sheep down there. At this point, it was you know my sheep and his sister's sheep, and that's you know so it was kind of nice. Being, and I think my cousin Amber Vaughn, my cousin Amber Vaughn was in uh, from Colorado. And uh, it's kind of neat because, like, all of us would keep our sheep at our house during the summer mm-hmm. when we had the projects. And then when we all went to school, I mean, my parents didn't want to take care of 4-H projects. You know, Amber's parents didn't want to take care of 4-H projects, you know. So we just moved them south to Oklahoma, which was nice because the weather's nicer. So you don't have snow. And, sheep do you know, better. Yeah, there. sheep do better down there in the south. Uh, so we'd go back down there. So, I mean, that was part of the deals. I had to go down there, you know, at least two weekends uh, a month. And so we'd go back down and help Ty get, you know, my sheep ready, and you know, Amber would come down and help with us. We all kind of work together on showing, make sure everything looked good, 
and then we'd still get to, you know go to go to our you know Kansas City, Louisville's, Denver's, and so forth. So were you learning like to, so at that point Ty was was pretty handy with the sheep. No, no, no we no, weren't. No. Really at that you, point. So you were just like we're, figuring it out as you went. Yeah, he was a lot more handy than I was. Uh, you know, he had he had helped out a kid named uh, Jed Jed Winters, uh, and helped Sarah Massey and JB Massey out. So he had had a lot more experience than I did as far as going to more shows where I might go to ten shows a year. He had gone to twenty shows a year. Yeah. You know, that's the neat thing about Oklahoma and Texas. You guys show all year long. So, I mean, while it's a school project, you can go to 20 shows and a lot of difference. So, you know, we weren't, I would say, is one of those deals that, you know, we were kind of just getting, everybody was just getting started where maybe, you know, Ty had been, you know, working in the in the industry for five to seven years type of deal. So, he was just kind of the hand at the shows, helping yep. the sheep ready. Yep. Just, the older just, brother. Yep. Just kind of watched JB probably. Yep. Picks, you know, a lot of it, you know, you know, all of us learned from JB. Uh you know, Ritz and Urban, uh, there's another gentleman named Terry Harlan that we, you know, kind of all had, you know, he kind of, they all kind of mentored us where mm-hmm. we were running around down south and they kind of would give us advice and help us with breeding decisions, showing decisions, selection decisions. Uh, a lot of things that, you know, Ty and I didn't know. We were, you know, we were pretty, uh, pretty novice back then. So at what point did you and Ty kind of just start to find, figure out, hey, we can probably do this. This is, like, we're good at this. This is fun kind of deal. You know, Ty probably figured it out before I did. Uh, you know, my big probably breakaway is, you know, oh, when we went to uh, National Western Stock Show in 2001. Mm-hmm. So before that, you know, we had had success where, you know, we would win a division here. You know, I was lucky and I, you know, ended up being granted Arizona National while I was in college, uh, which is my only claim to fame of all my showing sure, career ever. So uh, that, I think, Sue Empire Farm Show. Uh, those are my two claims, but... I remember going to Denver, you know, and we thought we had a really nice set of sheep. You know, Tara had a Suffolk sheep, which for you young kids that don't understand Suffolk's were used to be the, like, that was what we all wanted. That was the cool thing. Yeah. Like, so Suffolk was like, hey, this one has big muscles and really, really good hide. So, so Tara was? Ty's little sister. Okay. So her and Amber, my cousin, were the same age. Uh, so they were probably, you know, sophomores, you know, sophomores, juniors, high school, probably junior, seniors in high school, somewhere in that age, you know. As I say, 20 years ago is a long time ago for me to remember it's true details. But I do remember that show. We had uh, Tara was there, and my cousin Amber was there, and we were kind of running around with Ritson at that point. And you know, so they, you know, his son Cashin was there. Uh, it's a good crew to be with. It was, it was, a, it was a good crew, and you know, we yeah. kind of sat in and tried to learn as much as we could from you know, you know, Ritson from Brian Johnson and so forth, because Ritson back then showed mainly they're almost all Brian Johnson sheep. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for those of you who don't know, Ritson was. Put the smack down on the world of show lambs back then. So like, for like twenty years like, straight, yeah, yeah, just whooped. I mean, so like if there was like when if you win if you win ten national shows or state fairs, and he, you know when year his son was doing it, I mean yeah. it was and that's unheard of. Yeah, these days it was uh it was like just the longest run of just continuously winning stuff and the most impressive sheep you've ever seen over and over and over again. Just every show you go to, just you know, always did a better job. Yeah, just more. You know, he just. He had more knowledge. He had more, you know, every, you know, everything. You know, mm-hmm. just better sheep, better selection of criteria, better exercise, everything. So, like, I know, like, I mean, when I I'm currently still, like, when I get around guys like that, I try to do more listening than I do talking, just to pick up on anything that they do. Like, is that kind of how it was? Like, you guys were like, this guy's the real deal. Let's. let's it was, and I remember, you know, awesome. it was kind of neat because you went to Roosevelt, Oklahoma, you know, which was probably 30 minutes away from where Ty was at and where J.B. Massey lived, and when we were in Oklahoma. You know, and you went to a backyard in town, and there was a big horse walker and this huge, monstrous treadmill. Mm-hmm. 
that I swear ran 30 miles an hour. And somehow, you know, somehow Ritson was able to get sheep to go on that thing backwards for like 10 minutes at a time. Somehow. You know, I'm, I really, you know, I'm sure my, you know, it's kind of like the, my grandma walked uphill both ways to school type yeah. of story, but. Ritson's sheep ran both ways uphill, uphill 30 in, mile an hour. <laughs> in snowbanks. So I just remember like him having a discussion with us that, you know, I didn't realize you actually exercise sheep that hard, you know, mm-hmm. and before that, you know, there wasn't, there wasn't treadmills. I mean, like when I, when I went to school, I mean, and showed sheep, we would walk them on, you know, on a leash a half a mile away, and we'd let the leash loose and chase them on a four wheeler. I mean, that was yeah. our super safe exercise program. That was probably normal back then. Like that's yeah, that's what you did, you know. Uh, and then I remember going to Ritson's and watching him just build, you know, have these sheep on treadmills forever, and they were just more muscular and stouter and bigger, you know, thicker sheep than we ever, you know, had thought about. Yeah. You know, and never thought about actually getting the sheep fat so you could exercise it hard, you know, or you know. Things that he did that, you know, we never even had, had thought about, hey, conditioning and, you know, treat these things like athletes to really have them ready to, you know, really ready to show. So, like, now, like, that's – you said someone would be like, oh, yeah, like, that's what you do. But this was a time when nobody was broadcasting information. Like, Ritson came up with all this. Well, you know, I would say him and, you know, the Oklahoma guys were just more advanced across the board than all of us. Uh you know, like our our craziness was like, hey, let's feed fish meal and run them longer, or give them less feed. And that was our way to change feed and condition and so forth. Uh, you know, and then we get down to Ritson, and we're like, hey, you can exercise harder, and then you can still feed these things hard, and they would have more calories, and they could get more muscle that way. And you're just mind blown. It was a mind blown situation. What? Like, <laughs> like, and he was like, you can do all this at home, so your sheep look better at the shows. And we were just like, is a sponge. We just, just the, the glass broke in your head. This is it. Yeah. And, and I'm sure, you know, at that point then we were like, hey, how do we build a treadmill that can make our sheep run, you know, 30 miles an hour back hill up way, you know, uphill in snowbanks. So the start of the, the treadmill, that, treadmill? That was it was about maybe a year later was the start of the Thailand treadmill. Staple in almost every show barn now. It's mm-hmm. amazing. Like, you don't go in very many that there isn't one in. Yeah. Completely different. So let's go back to Denver. So how'd that, so you were there with Ty, you were hanging out with Ritson and that crew and... You thought you had a good set. We thought we had a good set. Mm-hmm. You know, and it was kind of one of those wild runs where, you know, uh, you know, Ritson goes in there and he just donkey slams us down. Mm-hmm. You know, champion ham. You know, looks like he wins by a mile. Mm-hmm. You know, one of those best sheep, you know, one of the best sheep we've ever seen. Mm-hmm. But, you know, then Ty's little sister goes in there, Tara, and we knew that we had a really good Suffolk. That was kind of, the, you know, the gamer. And Suffolk at that time was a breed that if you won the Suffolks, you could you could still win. You There were a lot of times the Suffolk would win, would win the show. Yeah. So Tara goes in there and she wins the Suffolks. And... Holy smokes, you know, this is crazy, you know, we know, this is awesome. You know, my little cousin Amber Vaughn, I mean, we had a little, you know, what we considered a middleweight at 133 pounds. And, uh, anyways. Which is uh, not even a lightweight at some majors today. Yeah, it would be, it'd be uh, tough to, tough to get out of class one at a lot of the majors. But our 133 pound crossbred uh, wins the crosses. So Denver is similar to the way, way it is now where, you know, when you win, you know, when you breed, you know, Four hours later, you go back out in the green on the green carpet out in the uh, big arena, and uh, you go out underneath the big lights and get to show. So that was that was a big time for us. Mm-hmm. First time ever, you know, excited, had young guys. You know, yeah, we accomplished a lot, I and mean, that's hard to do. You know, at this time, I'm probably 21. Ty's 24, 23, 24. You know, so I'm trying to picture like I mean, I got all my buddies. But we all kind of mess. We all do the same thing. We all kind of help somebody and yep. fit some sheep. And I'm thinking. If one of us would were to do that today, it's almost 
you know, unheard of without the help of, you know, the guys we work for, but it's a big deal. It was a big deal. You know, it was, a, I remember it be one of those deals that I overheard one of the guys who's really big in the industry, you know, now, and he was talking to Ty, he's like, I think he's going to use the crossbred. You know, and I just kind of, you know, as we were walking up to the line, I was just like, oh, I mean, heck, there's no way. I mean, you know. Cashin's winning this. Yeah, Cashin's winning this deal. I mean, his sheep weighs 145, and it's just, you know, Cashin wins everything. I mean, that's how it went. And I started thinking about that. I was like, what? you know, this is the sheep I raised with my cousin showing it. I was like, maybe, maybe there is a chance. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing the transition from going out on those yellow chips, you know, in the small ring at Denver, to going on that green carpet, mm-hmm. you know, underneath the bright lights. They look different. And it was amazing, but that sheep just, uh, he wa- walks down the green carpet and just kind of struts out there. And, you know, he's the nice, blue, you know, freaky blue hided, athletic looking sheep, and just walks out there. And I was like, holy smokes, we're going to win this thing. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we ended up, uh, you know, my cousin Amber won uh, one National Western Sox show that year. Uh, Cash and sheep that was a man among boys uh, on the other side uh, was reserve grand, and that was kind of our first time. We're like, hey, you know what, we could actually be pretty good at this deal if we, uh, you know, Kind of, you know, try to be a little, you know, try, try a little harder. So was that like a turning point? Like, were you kind of invested a lot more time into this? I think it was, you know, because it was one of those deals that we, a lot of the things that we learned and had started working on, had all sort of the accumulation of all those things, we actually started to see results in them. And that mm-hmm. was probably the first time where you're like, holy smokes, this could actually happen. So like that next year, what, like, kind of where did it take <coughs> from there? Like, what moves did you make to kind of like? You know, Ty and I went on the road a bunch, uh, you know, and I remember, like, we do trips on weekends when we weren't in school, and, you know, he was going to Panhandle, you know, he'd kind of go back and forth to Panhandle State and then back home, uh, Southwestern Oklahoma State University, and, you know, we'd meet up, and we'd go see 30 breeders in a weekend, mm-hmm. and it was, you know, maybe we'd take, a th- take off Thursday, and, you know, Thursday, Friday through a Monday, you know, through Tuesday or something like that, we'd start in Iowa, and we'd see six breeders, and we'd go to Illinois and see four or five breeders, and we'd go to Indiana and see five or six breeders, and go to Ohio and see five or six, and... Somehow he talked me into going to Mike Hancock's, you know, which is in Kentucky. Far drive. Which I was like, places. who's this Mike Hancock guy? You know, I'm, I'm a young kid, you know, <laughs> what's what's going on there? And, and I understood that, you know, he had all the breeding genetics that were out there. You know, we're, we're, we're going back to him. And, you know, we'd go through, you know, 10 or 15 places in Oklahoma. And I just saw, a, you know, we both just, for looking at baby lambs, I mean, we saw more sheep in that next year, I think, than I'd seen in the previous, you know, 20 years of my life. Yeah. So were you looking for bucks at this point? Were you looking for weathers? Or? Looking for everything, really. We just yeah. wanted to see good livestock, you know. And I, I think back about it, you know, and it was back. It was different back then. That's just when you actually would buy. You know, you'd go to a breeder and you'd buy two sheep at that at that house. You'd go to the next breeder, you'd buy two sheep, and there wasn't, you know, there weren't online sales. There weren't, you know, other sales. Was just everything was private tree. So you know, we'd go through the weekend. Maybe we'd buy, you know, there was twenty, you know, fifteen, twenty sheep that we bought. Mm-hmm. You know, and it wasn't like we were looking to go buy a sheep for a lot of people. We were looking for, you know, Ty's sister, my cousin, a uh, family called, you know, the Abear family that was in Oklahoma, uh, the Williams family in Kansas. I mean, mm-hmm. just families that kind of showed with us and that, you know, said, hey, can you help us find some more sheep? Just find the ones you like. Just- yeah, find the ones we like, you know, at the, kind of the price points that made sense for us. And it was wild because, uh, you know, sheep might be priced at $2,500 in the jugs, you know, jug pens, and they're still wet, and you're trying to figure out, you know, if you don't, is this one good or not? Because they all look good, you know. And uh, it was uh, it was a learning experience. And I'm sure we passed up on some that were a lot better. And I'm sure we bought some that were way too high. And mm-hmm. it, it was fun, you know. In so the best ca- way to learn is just to go out and do it and fail and, and you know, find success and, you know, just experience it all. 
you know, and I'm sure a lot of those breeders, like the sheep that I, you know, I was picking out, I'm sure they were like, what the heck is this kid doing? Yeah. You bet, you know, $500. If you take, the, you know, at that point, that's a ton of money. If you buy that one for $500, they were happy. You know, they, they were thinking that they, you know, they, they threw one on, in on me. So buck, like buck decisions, were you kind of like fired up? Like, let's go find some bucks. Let's go raise some. Like, what were like the early buck kind of off, like stuff you're looking at? Well, you know, like, so our National Western Stock Show sheep was, uh, well, was a Tonto sheep, which was one that we got from Brad Dale at the mm-hmm. Corp Sale. Uh, goes back to Garvey breeding. Once again, for you young kids, just think of expressive, hard-muscled, good-hided. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we looked at, you know, a lot of those, and, you know, we looked at, you know, went to Hancock, so we looked at rams out there while we were out there. You know, and we'd gone to Johnson, so we looked at rams, you know, you know at Johnson. So it was kind of, it was kind of a culmination, but... You know, uh, t- you know t- I had Tonto from the year before. I was like, hey, you know, he won National Western Stock Show. I must have the best buck in the country. So that year I wasn't really big on bucks. It was kind of the next year I started kind of looking to say, hey, I need to, you know, what's the next piece of the puzzle for us? But, uh, you know, I remember we went back to, you know, to National Western Stock Show. The next, or actually, it probably would have been going to Louisville the next year. So we had Kit Williams there. And, you know, I remember we bought this, you know, kind of broccoli hided Johnson sheep that I didn't like. You know, it was one of those deals I looked at him and I was, like well, he's kind of hampy legged, you know, hampy haired, and you know, kind of, kind of, kind of Appaloosa hided and stuff. But the fact that you're, I'm just gonna bring this up, that you're speaking about hampy characteristics in a negative way is just like the most non-Tyson rule thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> you wouldn't hear it now. I mean, no. you know, at all. But uh, it was, you know, it's funny. I remember, you know, that was a sheep, and all, all of a sudden, you know, but he was big muscled. You know, mm-hmm. he was huge, huge muscled. Stood out. And uh, you know, that was the sheep that we, you know. Had Kent Williams from uh, Kansas that he, you know, that he bought, and uh, I remember going into Louisville and thinking that, you know, hey, this this deal's, you know, this deal's fun, you know, we, you know, we're gonna have probably, you know, seven or eight sheep, you know, at Louisville, and we're gonna have these, you know, probably three or four different families that are gonna, you know, that you know we're gonna help, you know, help their lambs when we get out there. It's kind of, you know, a new a new thing, you know, where we'd watch these old guys do this forever, you know, Ty and I were now the young kids and probably let's get it. Yeah, probably had you know no once again no clue what was you know going on and so forth, but. Uh, we get there and uh, at Louisville that year, uh, we end up going uh, Grand Reserve. So just once again, un- you know, unheard of. Yeah. The two Feel young the kids, fire. you know that you know one, you know both of them are in college and trying to do this deal and just, just let them whoop our asses. Yeah, and uh, yeah. <laughs> so previous to that, like two thousand one. Yeah, so I had to go back into. Let's talk about. Like uh, we talked about earlier today, uh, like buying a, that Leo buck that there was a sheep at this this sale from was it Leonard and oh yeah so so you know, after after National Western Stock Show mm-hmm. we, you know we think we're uh, you know we're big wigs at this point you know like hey you know now we, we had you know we had two breed champions in the drive you know we're, we're really cool so yeah. we're down at you know the black and white sale in the A team and those are two of the biggest you know two of the bigger sales you know along with the corporation in Oklahoma I mean Oklahoma was a place you went to go buy show lambs so this at that is point. Before or after they combined black and white and corp, this was before. So there were so two different. There sales. were three sales. So you had the A team Friday night, the black and white Saturday, and the black and white was still a show and sale. So the guys mm-hmm. would come down Friday morning, show their sheep, go Friday night to A team. Saturday come back and they sell their sheep. So, anyways, I was down in Oklahoma, you know, doing fun stuff, you know, and hanging out. And we go to uh, the black and white, and I remember I had a friend named Craig Bowers who was there. He's like, hey, I got to show you this sheep. You know, we had a good day. He's really cool. And so I went and looked at him. You know, he was working with these guys named Bell and Leonard. Mm-hmm. And uh, really cool, like a big-time stud sheep. I mean, he's hampy, so it's kind of different for me. I'm like, hey, yeah, this hamp stuff's good, right? And he was big-hipped and big-muscled and tall-fronted and kind of cra- you know, crazy-ribbed. And 
you know, it's my cousin Amber Vaughn, you know, we're getting to be, I think she's a junior summer getting ready to be a senior. So I was like, hey, this is going to be her last state, you know, kind of her last state fair run. Let's, uh, let's get her a good one. So, mm-hmm. you know, I look at the ceiling, I'm like, this guy's a stud, you know, and he still was a buck, but I remember Craig told me, hey, he's NS. So, you know, probably. So you're thinking weather, totally. All, all day long. Buck's not even yeah. in mind. You know, like, you know, I wasn't, you know, I had Tonto, I wasn't looking for a buck and thought, hey, this thing could be the weather that wins state fair for and us. And at this point, like, I guess the way you could compare it to common day, like, this is when NS, spider syndrome, blood testing was very important. It'd be like a D, like DDFF. Yeah. People are afraid of an NS. Yep, exactly. You know, this would be like trying to buy a DD buck back yeah. then. You know, oh, it's NS. You know, no, we don't do spider stuff anymore. Everybody's trying to clean that stuff back out of the pedigree. You know, because before it was important to have it, so you had a little bit extra freak look and ex- exotic muscle and so forth. Now it's like, hey, that stuff's too unpredictable. You get, you know, they're not wide enough and so forth. We want just, you know, in-in sheep. Mm-hmm. So spider's bad. This thing's going to be a weather, but it's still good for the weathers because it's still had a little more up and out look for. Yeah. So I remember going up to the auction block, and I think, you know, he's up there, and there's really no one around. It's kind of getting to the end of the day, and everything's slow. And all of a sudden, I remember, you know, all right, I got the bid, $400. And I swear I had the sheep for maybe 10 minutes. They just sat there and asked for $500, you know, like $500, $500, $500. And I was just frustrated. I was like, come on, you just hit the hammer. And all of a sudden, boom, somebody bids $500. And all of a sudden, you know, the bids just keep on going up and up. Like me and this, you know, some, you know, somebody else were, you know, taking the sheep, and I'm like, ah, oh, you know, she's gonna get to be a high, high dollar weather. We're not gonna be able to buy quite as many sheep for Amber. I mean, it's gonna not be as much fun. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, we're over two thousand dollars. You know, and this is back when you know twenty five hundred dollars is a ton of money for a sheep. So you're pretty fired up about it. Like, you know, I, I liked them. I mean, I thought this was the one. You know, this is the one I looked for. So all of a sudden, he's at three thousand. I'm like, oh, you know. You know, this we're kind of at a point now where we you know we're we kind of have to gun to this sheep. That's we that's our option. Four less sheep if we take this. Exactly, because yeah. you know, this is back when thousand dollar sheep were you know high quality sheep at yeah. that point. She brings thirty five hundred dollars, and I chicken out. I'm like I I can't bid anymore than that. That's more money than you know I, I you know I spend four thousand on bucks. I mean this is silly. Mm-hmm. So anyways, the sheep buy brings thirty five hundred dollars. I'm kind of grumpy. And I'm going back to go talk to Craig about. It. I'm like hey you know I'm sorry I couldn't do it. You know, just brought a bunch of money. Congratulations for you guys. You know I'm doing this. And all of a sudden, you know, I watch, and I kind of get over to him, and he's got these two big tall guys with cowboy hats on, just kind of, you know, Wrangler press jeans, cowboy hats, and they're, you know, you know, talking to him and so forth. So I kind of, I'm, I'm polite, and just kind of wait mm-hmm. for him to finish talking to them. And they walk off and, you know, go up, and I'm like, hey, you know, Craig, sorry, you know, if I get the sheep, I guess, you know, somebody else, you know, you know, what, what, what did one of the big time weather guys get him and so forth? Or what was like, no, these two guys over here did. And, I watched these, you know, that we're walking away. I watched these two big, tall, gangly guys. Random and, guys. You know, which is like, who the heck are these guys, you know? And I was like, well, where do they show at? They're like, $3,500 on the weather. Yeah. I was like, well, you know, where are they going to show them at? You know, they're like, oh, no, they're not going to show them. That's going to be their buck. And I remember just being like furious over this deal. I'm like, he's what? NS. He's NS. What are these guys thinking? I'm like, this is the like most retarded thing I've ever heard in my entire life why would they want to buy that one as a buck and he's like i don't know either but you know they did and, and that's that so that was like my biggest deal i remember being like oh so, you know i thought that was the sheep's so now i gotta go out and find a new sheep for amber you know it's the a gun you know the gun that we're gonna try to go win state fair with and figure out what happened and so who who ended up getting them who were those guys like what did it end up being anything or uh that sheep was purchased by james duffy and the burson family and ended up being the buck that kind of made their pro, I, that I consider making their program named Leo. D. Leo. D. Leo. That we still hear about. Yeah, so that would probably mean, you know, 
I've gotten a lot of heck uh, heckling from the you know from that point on of uh, not getting that sheep bought uh, just because you know that buck goes out and wins you know National Western Stock Show for those guys. So we're gonna jump ahead quite a bit just for this one part, but so Leo, who was sold in 2001, yeah. Um, so the current leader is 2020, and your most successful show land last year. How was her mom bred? She had been a line bred Leo. How many shots of Leo by? 20? 22. <laughs> you know, those, I don't think those guys bought another outcross buck in the next, you know, t- t- 15 That's, years after that. I mean, it, I mean, Lee, I mean, compared to like Composure and, and all them other old legends, there ain't one that still really is capable of that. I mean, making a sh- he, you know, even though he is, you know, the NS thing was the scare factor, you know, for a lot of us. But you know, as far as base width and bone and stoutness and being cracked open, I mean, way ahead of his time. I mean, yeah. just none of us knew those things were important back then, and those guys. You know, we're able to find, I guess, that piece that they looked for. And, you know, that was 01. I remember, you know, I think, what was it? I remember it was four, five, and six, or five, six, and seven. Uh, Burson's ended up winning the National Western Stock Show with, you know, with, with Sheep out of Leo. And, so that uh, day was just an utter failure. <coughs> biggest regret. That, 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 that not purchasing the Ram was the biggest regret. Uh, the fun part about that night was uh, it's actually my first date with my wife, Amber. So, uh, really? So I didn't get the I didn't get the ram bought that day or the weather bought that day, but I did find uh, the, my future bride and a soulmate for the rest of my life. So that was good. Still came out on top. So let's. So at this point, 2001, 2002, you're still in college. Still in college. Still yep. In college. Okay. So, what were some you know career paths? Were you you know thinking okay I'm gonna raise sheep or were you thinking something else or where were you at in that point? You know I wasn't real sure. So uh, I did, I did not think hey I'm gonna raise sheep for a living. That would be the easy answer. Uh, you know, I still wanted to be in pharmaceutical sales, you know, kind of, you know, go call on vet, veterinarians for medicine and so forth. Uh, I'd started taking an entrepreneurial finance, finance class, so I really, I really enjoyed business. Well, not your minor. That was my minor, uh, yeah. Entrepreneurial, yeah. So back then, that was kind of a weird word that no one hears about. Now, you know, if you're a influencer on Instagram or Facebook or YouTube, entrepreneur is probably in your bio. Yeah, it's probably your uh, main lead for what your, you know, career path is. So you're an entrepreneur before it was. A trend. Be, way, be, way before it was a trend. So go. it was a finance class. I remember like John Papa John was uh, from Papa John's Pizza. They actually sponsored the uh, program for Iowa State University. Really? So like that's what when people are like we're what's your minor? I was like it's part of the John Papa John Foundation. They, <laughs> you know, it's like so like you're gonna make pizzas for you know a living and <laughs> yes, that's exactly that's what exactly I'm gonna do. What I want to do. So so when we graduated from college. What was your first step? Like what'd you go do? Ah. Uh, I sold copiers and printers and fancy scanning machine. So, uh, 9/11 hit, which was always kind of you know hard for the uh, economy, and so I was wanting to go out to the East Coast and work on a uh, phase three pharmaceutical research. Uh, was my was my plan uh, mm-hmm. at a kind of a surgical center out there, uh, kind of working with uh, you know doctors, with uh, healthcare providers, with uh, you know the veterinary. veterinary uh, Veterinary clinics and so forth at a, a procedure place, a, a mm-hmm. procedure clinic out there. Uh, when that hit, they lost some funding, some big grants they had they were working on. So I had to kind of get a new game plan. Well, when I was working with my cousin Amber Vaughn in Colorado, I had uh, met a sales rep from a company called Icon Office Solutions. Mm-hmm. And all these, uh, so I thought, well, hey, let's go into pharmaceutical sales. And all these pharmaceutical sales, you know, Applications, you know, were looking for business-to-business sales, and they were looking for people that worked for ADP, for Centus, for Xerox, and for Icon. I mean, those are the big four. If you know, 
pretty much if you worked for those four companies, they were going to hire you. Well, when I realized that I was probably underqualified for the pharmaceutical sales at that point out of college, uh, I thought, well, hey, let's, you know, let's try this icon deal out. I mean, you know, everyone, I guess it looks like if you uh, applied for, you know, if you get a job for two years at icon, you can pretty much, you know, that's your gateway into all these pharmaceutical mm-hmm. companies. So interview with, really good on a resume. Yeah, it must look really good on a resume. Yeah. So I was like, hey, let's you know, get a corporate job, you know, let's do this business, business, learn a lot. And uh, interviewed, and actually my, my uh, first boss was uh, an ex-University of Northern Iowa uh, football coach. Mm-hmm. Uh, or football player, I guess, not football coach. So it was fun in that regard because we could talk about Iowa State football. We could talk about you know, and I, talk about being a farm boy. I mean, he was, you know, big you know, handlebar mustache and you know, wearing a suit and tie every day, you know. So it's kind of a it's kind of, it's kind of cool. I mean, kind of remind me of a, you know, bur- burly, uh, you know, Oh, uh, Chuck Norris type, of, you know, kind of, kind of character. Great role model. So, great model. <laughs> great role model. So, uh, you know, I remember asking him. You know, he's like, "Well, so what do you want to make this year?" And I was like, "Well, you know, if I could make, you know, thirty thousand dollars, I'd just be that'd be awesome. That's that, that's my goal for you know the first year out of college. You know, let's just get rolling. You know, not be too crazy, not be too high." And he gave me the uh, discussion. He's like, "Well, sir, if you want to be in sales, that you know, if you're only going to make uh, thirty thousand dollars, we're probably going to have to fire you the first year because that means that you weren't successful enough." <laughs> and uh, I still remember that, you know, 20 years later, as far as that being his uh, words of wisdom to me, that I, and I realized that, hey, if uh, in a sales environment, you know, the harder you work, the more, you know, the more successful you can be. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I started as the guy that walked up and down the streets talking to small businesses and saying, hey, how's your copier working? You know, hey, how's your uh, printer working? You know, you know, as, are, are you happy? Do we need to look at new equipment? You know, and, so a salesman. So a salesman, yep. What did you learn? What was the biggest thing you took from like a sales position? You know, a lot of it was, you know, that, you know, you're not going to get, you know, you're not going to get the best answer. Not Everybody's not going to say, yes, let's, mm-hmm. you know, let's get this equipment from you. You know, it's, you're going to have a lot of, you know, yeses and nos. And, you know, even if, you, you know, a lot of it was just a numbers game where, hey, I got to, you know, knock on 10 doors to get one person to let me in. I got to get in 10 doors to have one person, you know, want to, you know, buy a piece of equipment. So, I mean, it was a little bit more of a up and down the street, you know, keeping contacts, you know, making sure, you know, you know, just, a lot of instincts. A lot of instincts, and stuff. you know, when you're at you know at the receptionist desk, and you know, you'd like to go talk to the guy who you know actually uh, owns the business. You know, trying to figure out you know, you know what would you know, why she would want you to get to see the business owner. What you know would be a, an important thing. Mm-hmm. So you know, a lot of times it was nice because the the people who I talked to were the ones that were using the equipment, and the guy that you know owned the business had no clue at all. Mm-hmm. So a lot of it would be you know talk, talking conversation about them and finding out a lot of details of the business. And then uh, that way, when I would meet with the business owners, I would be able to have a conversation with them yeah. about what you know, what the what their employees' frustrations were that would want them to uh, look at diff- different things or changes to their business to make their life better. Awesome. And sometimes you know the, those employees wouldn't tell their boss that because they didn't want to get in trouble, but you know they'd tell me that so I could give, relay that message to some, him. Some fuel to yeah. some stuff in the tank to give, or I guess. No. Uh, you know, a way to talk to him and give him some examples and know, you know, know how to sell to him based off how his employees. Would. Correct. You know, and it was neat because, you know, as I started out, I know, up and down the street, you know, they, you know, I got, I got, I had a good string of luck where I got different promotions. So I started working on bigger businesses where I would call on corporations. Mm-hmm. So we're knocking on doors. Yeah, you know, it wasn't really knocking on doors. It's more of taking care of big, big accounts and, you know, you know, companies that had, you know, you know, 500 employees or 2000 employees or 30,000 employees. Mm-hmm. You know, and just kind of as I progressed in the company, the you know more responsible I got, the bigger accounts I got. And then you then you get to learn a lot about business, you know. And real life, 
understand a, you know, what works in different departments and what things that they cared about. You know, I remember uh, one of my customers being telling them that, hey, I can save you $5,000 know, $5, a month. You know, that's $60,000 a year, you know, if we you know with this new proposal that, you know, I'm putting together for you. You know, and them giving me the discussion that, you know, Tyson, we don't really look at, you know, you know, our return on investment has to be a half a million dollars or more in the first two years or else we don't really look at that, you know, that as an option. Mm -hmm. And that just being a completely different mindset for me of, you know, I thought I was going to be, I thought I was saving you $60,000. That was a great, you know, that's a great deal. I'm and, not making you. And they were like, you know, we have, you know, 50 projects right now that are, you know, at this half a million or more in the first two years. And that's where to get on the top of the, you know, our radar, that's where we got to be at. So that made me go back to the drawing board and look for, okay, well, what, you know, what things can I really make an impact for them on their business? I remember uh, one of the fun things was I was at, you know, Payless Shoe Source was a good customer of mine. And uh, first time I got to go to the warehouse. And, uh, you know, I'd never seen a big warehouse. I mean, it was kind of neat. You know, I just assumed, okay, boxes and, you know, pallet, you know, forklifts and that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And all these boxes coming in, you know, all boxes going out. I remember, like, going up on, the, on this belt system that they had. So as these trucks come in, they unload shoe boxes and shoe boxes. And each one of these shoe boxes, you know, had his uh, barcode on it. Well, all of a sudden, you know, we go up to the, you know, to the, into the big room, and these shoe boxes are going at 50 miles an hour on these, you know, black rubber belts, just zooming by. And there's a machine that's reading this barcode at 50 miles per hour, and then sorting these shoes into the, you know, correct direction so that they go on the right truck to the right store throughout the U.S. Mm -hmm. And just realizing that, you know, there's a lot more in business than you know, what I'd ever thought about as far as how to make these people more efficient, and how, you know, things that can really impact, you know, their, you know, their daily lives. So that, that whole job probably taught you a lot about, you know, looking at something and saying, okay, we can make it cheaper to do this. We can make more profit here and kind of that whole mindset, like a CEO mindset, I guess. You know, I think looking at more as a business owner, so mm -hmm. CEO, business mindset, business owner where, you know, instead of just looking at it, like in today's world of like, Hey, I really like this one thing about this one, you know, one animal. Mm -hmm. I want to go buy this one new lamb. Mm -hmm. I, I always try to look at things more of like a whole in case, like how is this going to make my business more successful or less successful by, yeah. by, by making this direction. So you're thinking, okay, if I buy this to you, I'll flush her next year, keep a buck that could maybe fix these things. Or I mean, you're, it's just, there's so much more than just what's in front of you when you're thinking about it. Is that what I try to do in our business, you know, direction now? Yes. So where, so right there, I mean, you're, you're done with college. You're, you're trying to do the, you know, the corporate world. I guess is what you could call it. I call it you know, business, business, corporate, you know, sales, corporate world. So I did that for five years. Uh, I was trying to figure out a way to get, to get back closer to home, uh, trying to get back into ag a little bit. Mm -hmm. And uh, your dad still had those show yep. lambs raising. So he was still raising our show lambs. You know, we'd probably taken a little bit of a, you know, in kind of the, you know, 2005, six, you know, four, five, six, seven, and we were successful. You know, we'd, we'd win a state fair every other year. Uh, I remember in Tulsa, we won Tulsa in 2005. Uh, which is a fun story, you know, uh, won, won, won it with a sheep that uh, Jake Dooley bought out of the jug pen, still wet, still had steam coming off it. Just came out of his mouth. Yeah, and uh, I was, you know, it was lucky because Jake and I were both from Oklahoma, so I went back with them, and him telling me that, hey, this is a sheep, you know, we went through and he bought a couple sheep, and then he's like, hey, what about this one? I'm like, he was just born, yeah, Jake, chill, chill you know, you know, it's, you know, he's like, no, that's the one I want. And I remember looking, I'm like, you know what? $1,500. If you can tell if this one's good in the jug with steam coming off of him, you know, that's what he's at. But I said, if he's, if he sucks, I said, you're still buying him for $1,500. He's like, I'll take the risk. And that sheep goes on and uh, ends up being granted Tulsa State Fair, you know, that next, you know, that, that same year. So, and that could, I mean, that, those kind of deals happen all the time, but that could have easily been like a sheep that didn't even haul. Yeah, could have went, went to the sale barn, you know. 
get it, you know, rolled out. And so, uh, and I'm sure maybe, you know, once again, you know, I'm not, I don't claim to be the best livestock evaluator uh, of all times. I mean, but I just, sometimes, you know, I think people always see one thing in a sheep and that kind of, you know, can end up being something that actually, tur- you know, turns out for them. So. I love when stuff like that. It's just always, it always makes for a cool story. You know, oh, that one that just won, that's the one that, you know, we, we bought the jugs or, you know, yeah. almost died or whatever. So you moved back home. You want to get back involved with, the with you know, helping your dad and, and raising yeah. livestock and all that. So where does kind of rural sheep company start to, you know, become, you know, what it is today? What, what steps happen yeah. there? Well, the first big step was, you know, I had to leave corporate America. And uh, our packing plant was working with a... Kind of, a, uh, kind of a business developer slash uh, venture capitalist who was raising money to uh, put together a 10,000 head commercial sheep operation for, you know, for use, 10,000 head of use. And uh, they were kind of in distress at this point. So they were coming to, you know, our packing plant to say, hey, you know, would you guys be interested in, you know, in working with us together? Mm-hmm. So I went there kind of as a, outs- you know, kind of as an outside person that understood sheep, understood production, and talked to, you know, and kind of worked with them on a consulting role. So that's kind of my first deal. I was doing that on Saturdays and Sundays when I was still doing my corporate job back, you know, back at home. And uh, all of a sudden it was, it was, things were getting kind of crazier and crazier at that location. That was back in Iowa, mm-hmm. you know, closer to home. So it was kind of halfway between, I was in Topeka. I'd moved up to Topeka, Kansas through corporate, you know, through my corporate job. They had moved me there and this was, in, you know, in Iowa. So I was, you know, hey, I'm closer to home. Maybe it could be within a couple hours. Maybe we can do more of the show lamb deal. You know, I kind of had been working with my dad on a different, on a business plan to kind of grow or, you know, grow the show lamb deal for him, mainly just so I could get him a full-time employee. So that way, hey, you got someone here the entire time. So, you know, you, as you age, you don't have to do all the chores yourself. You can have someone else do the chores while you're mm-hmm. at work. So that was kind of what our goal plan was there. And then I was like, well, hey, this corporate, you know, this venture capitalist deal, you know, consulting for them, I'm closer, you know, this might be able to in- incorporate some of those things together. And, you know, and I remember starting to work and getting used to some of my business to business things I learned about, you know, business and can incorporate those into this uh, commercial sheep operation mm-hmm. but also some of the, my knowledge from animal science and through raising club lambs and so forth so worked, you know, out good worked out good where i kind of understood both sides of it and uh after you know about four months you know of going through the books and going through the production you know processes and so forth and trying to make things better i learned in hurry that there was no way that this business was going to be you know was a valid business of mm-hmm. what they had for overhead you know what their debt burden was versus what their revenue with expectations of the next two years were going to be so, uh, we, you know, I got to make the, the great decision, you know, tell them that, hey, I think, you know, it needs to close and that's, you know, that's your best bet. So uh, when we told them that, you know, I, then I was kind of at the point where I'd, got, I'd gone to work for them for three months full time because I'd kind of rolled out a consulting role. Um, in theory, I kind of fired myself at that point. So like, hey, you know what, I, you know, even though I'm here, you know, we're going to we throw more money in this deal, but it's not going to be. We're still going to be the same point. We're going to, you know, in two years, we're, you know, before the two year cash burn is over, we're still going to be. Know, in trouble so uh then i kind of said okay well, what do i want to do i mean do i want to go back and do i want to you know go back into the copier world and you know into business business sales i want to go into pharmaceutical sales i've been talking to my dad about you know well hey maybe that you know this commercial sheep operation didn't work there but maybe you know doing it you know these are the steps that we think could done correctly do it on a you know so let's try it here let's you know let's try it here so uh we actually came back and i'd saved up a lot of money so we uh we had bought i think we came out and we uh, got an auction and we bought our, I think we bought 240 acres uh, in that October in, on auction. And that's when we decided to move back to Hayward, Iowa. Mm-hmm. Is so that we, this property you have now? Uh, it's, yeah, the one where the sheep side sat. The side, okay. So uh, we bought that and uh, we had, uh, you know, at that point we only had, 
I think we had right at 200 use. So blackface you know, black show, show lamps, okay. yeah, only. And uh, we, you know, we bought the property. And we built the two big hoop barns that were on the property, and they're you know 36 by 620, big big mm-hmm. barns. And so we put commercial use in those, and we bought, you know brought a bunch of white face bread use from Colorado in, and lambed out 1,200 commercial use that first year. And uh, so that was a, that was part of the process of how you know our, our operation went from hey you know small little you know 100 head 200 head kind of I call it a hobby because it wasn't a full time you know position. Yeah. Uh, to, you know, hey, we're going to turn this into a business. And you know, from that point, we transitioned in from that would have been in 2008 uh, to, you know, our operation now where, you know, we decided that, hey, you know, recip use and the show use are more profitable for us than the commercial use are. And, you know, in that kind of transaction between now and 2008, we slowly faded away from the commercial use and moved more towards show lambs mm-hmm. and, you know, and an ET program. I got you. Well, I hope you guys enjoyed that as much as I did. I had a lot of fun sitting there with Tyson talking about all that stuff and, and trying to piece together everything uh, even before we started the podcast. I think it took us probably two hours uh, to just put together all the bullet points and, and everything we wanted to talk about. And we kind of had to fact check a lot of stuff uh, before we started like years and, and Buck's names and, and everything like that. Uh, but we went from talking about young Tyson Rule chasing rainbows and looking for gold to you know how in high school – he was a track star and, and wanted to go to the Olympics, although not successful on the Olympic part. But I think there's a picture of Tyson in a track uniform from high school. Um, it's pretty funny. I think I saw it on Snapchat. I'll have to pull that up and, and post it when we, when we publish the podcast. Uh, I won't tell Tyson about that part, though. He'll just have to find out. I think my favorite part of that first episode is the Leo story and, and how he was you know, looking at this sheep you know, to cut him. And, you know, NS, one that's not going to be worth anything as a genetic piece just off of the way he bled. And seeing how those guys from New Mexico took that buck and and made him such a legend. A lot of those guys, um, I talk about Leo, you know, every time you hear about him in common day, you're never hearing about a sheep that's just out of Leo one time and, and how it works so well. No, these there's there's a lot of ewes out there and, and females, whether it's Wade Franklin's flock or or the old Burson flock, where they've got 20 shots of Leo in these females, and you know maybe that buck was, did exist 20 years ago, but those things still work. Um, I, that that peaches sheep that me and Tyson talked about uh, was one he raised out of one of those old Burson ewes, who is just lined up completely with Leo, and it's it's crazy to see how those old genetics, although we probably wouldn't breed a sheep to Leo today. It's it's crazy how successful uh, those U families still can be um, with all that. And then we talked about um, a little bit how he went into being a vacuum salesman and just kind of his intro into the corporate world and, and, and maybe the entrepreneurship uh, degree he got from college. And, and we didn't really talk a whole lot about, you know, common day rural sheep company. Uh, that's something we'll definitely get into in the next episode with Tyson. Uh, that'll be out next week. We're going to dive into... Uh, talking about burn, we're going to talk about drop the mic and, and unleaded and, and kind of the history that got him to you know where he is today. And it's a really exciting story to tell. Uh, can't wait for you guys to hear it.